We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have an extra special treat for you guys this week. Uh, the eight-time Russian champion, 2011 FIDE World Cup winner. Of course, he's won countless other tournaments. He's been a top five player in the world. He is a beloved Chess24 commentator, now a chessable author. I believe that by the time this comes out, Lifetime Repertoire, the Grunfeld, um, will be released. Of course, uh, in this course, I have it on high authority that that our guest Peter Spidler says in the introduction, I'm known for winning a surprising number of Russian championships, resigning in somewhat drawing positions, and playing the Grunfeld. So a lifetime of work shared in this course. And of course, he's also known for his modesty and his kindness. So so kind that he agreed to come on this podcast for a second time for some reason. So I'd like to welcome him. I enjoyed back. the first one. I don't I don't see why I wouldn't. Um well, I appreciate it very much. I should just get out episode. The, our first appearance was episode 13 in February 2017. And Peter, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, hello to everybody. 
Yes, and thank you. I can I can only imagine how busy you are, Peter. Of course, you're a family man. Um, you've got this course coming out, and we have the uh, FIDE candidates set to resume on April 19th in Ekaterinburg, Russia. Um, of course, it's been reported that you worked uh, with uh, Grandmaster Kirill Alexenko in the first half, so you may or may not have a role in this one. Um, but if you don't mind, Peter, I'd like to start just by discussing that tournament a little bit. Because sure, of course. A... Yeah, it's a, it, uh, it's a kind of a really, really strange world we, we've been living in for the past year. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the complete disappearance or almost complete disappearance of all the over-the-board chess is, you know, very far down the 31st page of things, which should concern us honestly but for the professional chess players it's been a strange year and perhaps you know none stranger than for for the participants of the the candidates because uh this is the event that your career is kind of building towards i mean this and the match if you win and then to have it just aborted midway and uh and then have to somehow keep your powder fresh for an un, un, really an unknowable amount of time this this was the like it's going to resume more than a year after it stopped last year and uh yeah it's a it's a very very strange situation and uh uh don't really envy them very much i will have i, I will say for sure, it feels less strange than last year at this time, though we have to yeah, give it that. Yeah, we've we've gotten we've gotten used to this this you know new normal and all that. But uh, yeah, for, for for the players and in particular, I think uh, for, for uh, the the two the two co leaders, uh, this must have been a very very bizarre year because you are you know with with rest days, you are ten days away from potentially. Uh, you know, your life changing, uh, and and then all of this gets gets put on hold, and you have to uh, somehow not go completely mental thinking about it for uh, for the next God knows how long. And uh, we will see we will see how uh, how this how how it restarts and uh, uh, how easy it will be to return to. Uh, over the board play because for I didn't actually check, but it feels to me that most of the players played pretty much no over the board chess at all in the in the past year. Because uh, no, Jan played the Jan played the super final, which is at least something. And Gary played Wiccan. Yeah, and, right? and Gary played. Yeah, some people played Vike, but apart from apart from Vike. Uh, and the super final, there was really nothing at all. And as someone who, I mean, these days my, you know, I'm uh, my play is a lot more about you know finding new ways to to kind of uh, uh, play something exciting. And you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm still a competitive player, of course, but I'm obviously much less competitive than I was than I was I don't know ten years ago or even five years ago. Uh, and and the uh, for me, I think sources of motivations have shifted more in the direction of the you know the creative side of it. Uh, but when I sat down to play round one of the super final in December, it was a really eerie feeling. And uh, 
I don't think like modern chess players are very definitely unused to breaks of this of this length. You you feel like you lose at least a little bit of touch with the pieces if you don't play for a couple of months even. And uh, uh, when, you know, all they've had for a year is one tournament and then, uh, well, some amount of online practice. And uh, for, for some it will be quite a lot and for some it will be, I don't know, intermittent title Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's it's going to be a very very uh, challenging thing to come back to because you, you you don't have like this is the candidates you don't have any warm up rounds you don't have uh, you you can't really take like a week to get back to the feeling of playing chess well you know in in a week the whole thing will be over and uh, uh, yeah it's a uh, I'm very excited for it, and uh, in a way, for uh, for Kirill, there is no pressure on him whatsoever. There was really no real pressure on him even in 2020 because he he came in as a you know ju- judging simply by the figures and you know lack of experience and all that. He came in as an outsider uh, with you know it's. I think it's correct to view it as a positive free roll uh, because I don't think there were very many people in the world who assumed he will absolutely destroy everything in his wake there. But if he does well, he makes a name for himself. Uh, And I think he has what it takes to, generally speaking, do well in these fields. It did not go all that great last year, but uh, once again... I think the biggest challenge for him will just be to, you know, to remember how it is to sit at the board and have all these, you know, unbelievable amount of time on your clock instead of three plus two, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but, you know, for him, it will still be strange, but it will be kind of, I think, manageable strange. Whereas for people who are uh, leading the tournament in particular, for them... I'll be I'll be watching with 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 great excitement. I think. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, the reason for all this is very far from happy, and perhaps we shouldn't be so gleefully, you know, <laughs> anticipating people trying to deal with what is the fallout of a very traumatic event for all of us. But as a you know, as somebody who has played top level chess and also watched top level chess with great interest my entire life. This is going to be a very exciting 10 days. Yeah, it's been much anticipated. And Peter, of course, I have a few follow-up questions, but I'd just like to uh, set the scene a little bit more about the candidates, just because, of course, these days, Peter, we have a lot of new chess fans. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So for anyone uh, wondering or not fully privy to the details of what we're talking about, on April 19th, the uh, tournament will resume to determine who plays Magnus Carlsen for the World Championship in Dubai on November 24th. And there are eight participants. And of course, the tournament was postponed because they tried to start it right when COVID was really accelerating in March of last year and ended up uh, postponing it at halftime. So as Peter alluded to, the two leaders are uh, Maxime Bashir-Lagrave of France and uh, Jan Naponici of Russia with four and a half. Uh, with three and a half behind them are Fabiano Caruana, Anishgiri, and Wang Hao, and uh, Peter's friend Alexander Grishuk. And then with two and a half are Ding Luren and Kirill Alexenko. Um, 
So we're looking forward to this very much, of course. Um, so Peter, a couple follow-ups. You were, you alluded to sort of how the strange feeling that participants must have and um, how to take stock of uh, how they might be doing. I think with uh, one of the co-leaders, MVL in particular, he hasn't shown the best form of late. Um, and now there he goes. Uh, I believe he plays Fabiano in the first game back. Um, how does a like how does a player who's been there in the candidates um how do you think about momentum in in an event like this especially as you it's not even real momentum it's online momentum so how does how much stock yeah, do you I think, put in that? yeah i think it you know mvl's results in in online tournaments are i would say largely irrelevant i would be very tempted to just disregard them completely because uh i think for both him and jan i mean they're all they're both you know, professional chess players of long standing, and I don't think a professional chess player is capable of not caring about the results. I don't think you know any of us really enters any event and says to himself, "If I score minus five here, I don't, you know, I don't care one jot." You know, that's not a that's not a mindset that you know is easily available to any of us. But I think it's very very clear that for both him and and Jan. The only thing that matters is is finishing this and winning it. And uh, in in view of that, I'm pretty sure it's it. And once again, maybe this was one of your follow ups. I'm because I'm trying to because I do get that question quite a bit when I uh, when I stream or commentate. The question of uh, you know how much of perhaps his current run of form is to do with him. I don't know hiding opening opening preparation. And trying not to show what he might be playing in those last seven games, I don't think people do as much of that uh, as is, you know, the, the the urban legend says that you know people people mm -hmm. save novelties for the candidates, and then you know if they have something, they will never ever play that opening to not even give a hint where the novelty might be. I think there's a lot less of that these days because I think the assumption is that pretty much everybody in the in in the you know top flight is looking at roughly the same pool of positions in the topical openings which you can expect at this level so if you have a novelty that novelty probably was produced by using the same pool of engines that everybody else is using and there has to be an expectation that if you know probably at least three other people know by at, at this exact moment in time when you discover it mm -hmm. i think it's very safe to assume you're maybe not the first one to discover it. Uh, so, you know, sitting on it and not using it in, let's say, a Magnus Tour game is just a strictly minus EV, minus EV uh, course of action because uh, somebody else might show it tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and also, you probably don't get to play it against the absolute top field because they probably know and they won't play that line against you. So, uh, it's it's not that he is specifically playing suboptimal openings or anything like that, but I think his mind clearly is elsewhere, uh, and uh, he he is very much trying to, you know, avoid burnout by thinking about the the resumption at all times. But also, he he needs to focus on on the candidates and pretty much to the exclusion of everything else. I would say. Once again, I, 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 obviously, we're not in touch very much with MVL. So all of this is guesswork, and I kind of dislike this type of 
psychological guesswork when it applies to other people. But I would say that uh, for, for for players and the candidates, uh, the the current online season, it's welcome because it allows you to stay in shape to a degree. But apart from that, uh, they just need this tournament to be over and then life can resume. Uh, yeah, it must be. I mean, as fans, people like me are anticipating it. So I can only imagine, as you say, someone with a, this life-changing potential event uh, coming right up. And for what it's worth, um, there are some betting markets on the candidates. And the one I saw had MVL at uh, 33%, uh, Nepomnichi at 30%, Fabiano at 28%. Geary, 11, Wang Hao, and Grishuk around 5. That is, that is really, really interesting to me, actually, that uh, a full point different with, difference with 7 to go is only a 5-point five spread. That's, yeah. uh, that's quite striking to me. Yeah, I was surprised, too. I mean, I think uh, Fabiano does have white against MVL in the very yeah, first game. That is, that is a huge, huge game to open, open the tournament with. But still, like it's a, it's a full point with seven rounds to go. Yeah, and then someone like Geary, who I feel like, I mean, you know, obviously you're a higher authority than me, but he's also only a point back, and he was only 11%. So, But <laughs> we don't no, need to get this, into the odds too And the, the, I don't think this is disrespect to Anish. I think this is... I, I can sort of understand why Fabi is rated so highly, honestly. I think... Uh, that is based on uh, something I would mention and something I don't entirely even disagree with. The the idea that as someone who has won a candidates tournament before, he comes in with a sort of higher degree of confidence that every, than, than everybody else in the field because he can fall back on that experience of 2018 and tell himself, I've done this before. I know it can be done. I know roughly how it can be done. Uh, I'm I'm not phased, and and you know my kind of outraged, outraged, outraged cry of it's 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 one point with with seven to go. It works both ways. It's right. also, but it's only one point with with seven to <laughs> yeah. go if we want to talk up Fabi's chances. But but still, like in, in purely mathematical terms, I yeah, like I would I would expect it to be a lot lower. Like if if MVL and uh, and Yana are at around. Thirty, I would, I would say that it, it, it has to drop down further. But still, I, I can see why, uh, why the markets prefer Fabi to to Anish because Anish, uh, he he doesn't he doesn't have that to fall back on. He doesn't. Uh, uh, he's been playing exceptionally well online. He's probably one of the most improved players of the 2020-2021 season. Uh, in terms of what he showed online, but that's that's a whole different ball game. Oh, honestly, different time controls and different environment and all that. And uh, uh, in terms of winning these uh, round robins against the absolute best in the world, very few people have done that. And I I don't like once again, I'm not falling back on the old you know Anish you know, never won a super tournament memes. He First of all, he right. has. And secondly, that's not what I'm referring to. It's just specifically this this competition. Uh, and uh, it's really unlike pretty much anything anything in the world. Uh, the, the double round robin that you play for the candidates is... There used to be tournaments like this, but they pretty much disappeared. So you only really play it when you play the candidates. And uh, the experience of having won it before is very very valuable yeah that that makes sense um it's 
it'll be interesting to see. And of course, I don't know how liquid these betting markets are, but I mean, any any model or any market is, like you say, it could be, you could tweak it some, but it's going to be in that area. And it's interesting to hear your perspective about how much experience does matter. Um, so I'm just curious, Peter, we've got a lot to cover, but a bit more about the candidates. As someone who's played, what would your mindset be? Like, say you were playing or thinking back of the candidates tournament you have played in this, like two weeks before, what's your, what would your routine be like? And Obviously, to the extent you can talk about what advice you would give to people you may be giving advice to, uh, I'm sure listeners well, would love to hear Well, some, some very, very light fine-tuning of the open opening things. But I would be trying, like, in, in the very last two weeks before, before the restart, I would not be doing any heavy-duty prep. I think... Uh, like you go through your you go through your preparation, you try to like figure out uh, which of this will be very relevant, which of this will be sort of less relevant, try to perhaps uh, fine-tune some things which are still bugging you a little bit. But mainly I think you need to put yourself in a positive frame frame of mind and uh, uh, just as much as possible. It, it, it feels weird to say those words even because I, I think like the, the nervous energy that you accumulate in the run-up to this thing is like it's very very difficult to uh to to, to relax and uh uh not have it get to you but ideally you would like to approach it as well rested and as fresh as as possible i think like the the, the heavy lifting in terms of opening prep which is I would assume like 95% of all the work, maybe maybe above 95% of all the work that gets done before the candidates is, you know, trying to guess what will happen, trying to have ideas uh, against things that people will do against you. Um, but that, that needs to be put slightly to the side, I think, in the last couple of weeks in, uh, uh, in favor of just... Uh, like doing whatever it is that works for you to to refresh your mind to to get into a positive kind of a as calm as possible uh state of mind before the tournament starts because then you know the the amount of pressure that's on you when when you actually have to sit down and play is going to be immense and uh at least in the run up i think it's very very important to recharge as much as possible because there's going to be no recharging <laughs> once yeah. once it gets underway. Well, that's a, that's interesting perspective. And I know that, or again, it's been reported that you were there last year for a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Are you able to say, are you going this year to Ekaterinburg? Barring accidents, yes. <laughs> okay, well, safe travels. Um, that's great to hear. And of course, obviously, COVID, we're not out of the woods with COVID, so something could happen where it's postponed again. Um, I, of course, advocate safety first, but uh, I'm sure FIDE has had a lot of time to put in place uh, good protocols, and uh, so, and I'm sure vaccines have been given and all that, so hopefully we're yeah, good to go. I, I, I'm fairly certain, absolutely, uh, ev everything that can be provided in terms of, you know, the safest environment possible will be provided, because... Uh, I mean, FIDE understands. It would be r ridiculous, honestly, after the year we've had not to understand how serious this thing is. And, uh, you know, for a tournament which is, when all is said and done, it's a very limited field, uh, you can actually create 
uh, a very close approximation of a bubble uh, there and provide all all resources needed for the players to, if they don't want to, you know, come into contact with pretty much nobody as it was in 2020. Like if you if you wanted to, you could pretty much never leave the room. Uh, the food situation was very well covered, and uh, you basically then would only need to take a an elevator ride to the floor where you play, and then back up to your room. So, okay. sounds good. Okay, so Peter, we've got a lot of listener questions. Uh, just one related to the candidate. So let's uh, jump into it. This is from a Patreon subscriber and friend of the podcast, Han Shu. Uh, and Han asks, he says. And also, I should say, uh, often uh, frequent contributor to New in Chess magazine. Um, Han says, uh, in the preview for the 2016 candidates, Sergei Shipov commented, "He constant, this is, quote, he constantly engages in self-irony, this is referring to you, which in my view is very harmful from the karma point of view. It creates a kind of ceiling which you cannot breach however hard you try, unquote. What does Peter think of this? Is it psychological BS or is there truth that it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Is winning just a matter of playing the best moves and having the strongest nerves or is there more to it? Well, I mean, uh, it's not its not a ridiculous suggestion. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> uh, a fun one because <laughs> I, I, I can't really... Uh, if this if this was presented to me as not a ship of quote, I think I would be agreeing with it readier. <laughs> but uh, I, I, having stated that as a bias, you know, I, I I can then maybe sort of peel it peel it away and and address it as a statement. And as a statement, I think there's some truth to it. I I, I do feel that. And I've actually been discussing it with people uh, this year quite a bit the the whole uh, the whole underselling of yourself uh, shtick that I've been doing for the past twenty five yeah. years and how and on a, but but I was like we, we were discussing it with a, a very close knit group of friends but from a different viewpoint not from a viewpoint of you know how devastating it has been for my career which i really by this point even if it is true i no longer really care it's there so what's the point right. of discussing it uh we were discussing it from a framework of what it actually does to the people who have to listen to me spout this bullshit <laughs> and uh i've been sort of gradually coming to the conclusion that like what i assumed was a very harmless activity because it seemed very directly inward seemingly i'm not really targeting anybody but myself when i do these things uh there is this idea that has been presented to me that uh people who you know have to listen to it and react to it are put in a very unenviable position of you know working as unpaid therapists <laughs> uh and uh that is perhaps something that they did not really uh, you know, volunteer to be at that particular moment in time, and I am assigning assigning work to people where I uh, just assumed I was just kind of laughing at myself and you know inviting people to laugh along. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe from that viewpoint, it's not very constructive. As for as for my career, I have achieved some things. So, <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> uh, so I, you know. How much? How much we have to buy into the idea that my my you know 
self-deprecation is tremendously harmful. Uh, it's probably not helpful, but it hasn't really stopped me entirely, you know. So yeah, and it doesn't uh, always it doesn't always mean a lack of confidence when someone's self-deprecating, right? Not not in every single instance. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely. I think. I don't think you can do it from a starting point of actual extreme confidence in yourself. I think that would be, you know, a degree of duplicity and hypocrisy that I hope I'm <laughs> not capable of. But uh, yeah, it's it's not always it's not always you know, a very clear sign that uh, that there is no confidence there at all. Okay, um, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it is. Uh, it's interesting to hear when you're so accomplished that, that you've developed this reputation. But um, anyway, we'll leave it there because I want to talk about your chessboard course, and we have lots of listener questions to get to. But first, Peter, we're going to take a break and hear from a certain company called Chessable. You'll never guess which course this week's Chessable ad for Perpetual Chess will highlight. Okay, maybe you guessed it. Lifetime Repertoires, Peter Svidler's Grunfeld Part 1, is now hit the virtual shelves. It is available from Chessable. Of course, this is Grandmaster Svidler's life's work. He's been known for this opening for 25 years. It is a fierce, swashbuckling opening. So if you're into attacking chess, then you might want to check it out. There's a short and sweet version that you can check out for free. And if you like it, of course, you might want to pick up the whole course. It utilizes Chessable's Move Trainer technology to help you remember what you learn. So go to chessable.com, take a look around, and either pick up this course or whatever else you may be interested in. Let's get back to the fantastic interview with Grandmaster Svidler. So, Peter, your magnum opus, the the uh, Grunfeld Lifetime Repertoires course. Um, so I'm curious, of course, I mean, you've, you've been basically the world authority on the Grunfeld for decades, but now you're putting your name on this product, releasing, um, I'm sure, some, you know, some knowledge that maybe wasn't widely disseminated, but also I'm sure interfacing with engines in your work. So how, how many new discoveries did you have as you have, as you put this course, uh, as you got this course ready? Quite a lot. I mean, I did not set out to be specifically uh, set out to specifically like never give anything that already was given in the Chess Twenty Four course because obviously, in a lot of places, uh, the solutions that I gave there still hold, and there is no particular reason to, you know, uh, overhaul them just for the sake of providing a, a new answer when the old answer is perfectly serviceable, but. There's a whole bunch of new material in it, of course. And uh, I mean, the opening is still very much alive, first and foremost, but also the opening is is a very uh, is in a very healthy state of uh, you know constant evolution. And uh, uh, for me, uh, I they are extremely annoying those moments, but they do happen a lot more often than uh, than I would like. And, uh, like, in particular, they seem in my mind to be very associated with the, with the name Daniel Dubov, but, <laughs> uh, but not only, and this course provided me with a couple of those where I thought, you know, there is no Dubov here to kind of thumb his nose at me, but this is still happening somehow. Uh, Could you explain what you mean? By yeah, that? I, I, mean, I will. I... Yeah. But like specifically, uh, Dubov at some point, uh, in the very starting position of the Grunfeld, uh, move four after bishop g5 
Dubov at some point started playing c7, c5 in this position. And bishop g5 has been a line which I looked at possibly the most in my entire, like out of all the Grunfelds. I probably spent more time on various replies to bishop g5 uh, than on anything else in the entire opening. Maybe with like rook b1 and or bishop b3 being like close seconds. And uh, he somehow plays something on move four, which I've never looked at. And it's still playable and and very interesting. And also, like, uh, in terms of what those ideas represent, it's very, very close to what I would like the Grunfeld to be. And you just sit there and think, like, this is a, an abject failure on your part, Peter. Why weren't you there, you know, <laughs> way before he was born? Like, why? <laughs> right. Uh, in particular, because, you know, the move existed before I started playing it, but... Uh, bishop g5, bishop g7, which is a pawn sacrifice, which I uh, I gave in the chess 24 course. <clears throat> uh, I came up with it on my own because you know in the early 90s you did not really have much of much in the way of internet access in you know in Leningrad, and uh, in general chess, chess databases were uh, you know sometime in the future yet. So I did not know of the, you know the the Adorian's attempts to play, make this playable and so on and. There was genuinely an invention, even though it turned out to be an invention somebody has has done before me, uh, but I didn't know that. Uh, so, like the idea of not defending the pawn on d5 on move four definitely occurred to me, and I and I developed it into a uh, into a very uh, very healthy uh, very healthy repertoire, even. But somehow, in all the years after, it it never really occurred to me that there are other ways of not de defending the pawn on c5 and that was that was a very hurtful moment i i i did not enjoy that one bit and uh when working for the course there were definitely a few a few spots like this where i thought uh why why am i only discovering this now uh at least i am discovering this now so it's not uh you know it's a uh, I'm still capable of, of of finding finding something out for myself in this opening, and it's good. But uh, it's it's very eye opening just uh, how much there is still to learn, even in an opening I've been playing for thirty years. Yeah, and listeners, I apologize if there's noise in my background. There's construction outside, but uh, we'll soldier on. So, were you using Peter um, the standard uh, cocktail of uh, stockfish and uh, Leela Zero for this? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think I think this is sort of the 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 accepted accepted combo now. You ideally you want to run both uh, side by side and kind of beat them against each other. And how often? So. How different was that than like your typical work? Uh, you know, a uh, friend of the podcast, Stephen Sparks, had had written in to ask how much you're working on your chess generally these days, what your ambitions are for for OTB um, as we return, um, and how it interfaces with obviously this project. Well, that that was sort of my chess work. I, as I as I may have alluded to earlier, like my my current ambitions are, you know, when I actually sit down and play. I suddenly realize I am still somewhat ambitious, but sort of not until I sit down and play. Uh, and uh, that resulted in me doing uh, 
like whatever work I do these days uh, is uh, more to do with like the style of commentary that I generally engage in. I like I firmly believe actually does count as chess work because you are sort of trying to play uh, a very high level uh, game of chess together with the two players who are playing it. Uh, when you're when you're trying to comment on on a, a high level tournament with pretty much using no engines at all until you get very very tired and you just feel your brains becoming sluggish and you feel that at this point if you continue in the same mode you will just be doing a disservice to the viewers and then occasionally I start peeking under the hood a little bit but for like the first for the first four hours I try as much as possible to have absolutely no outside help whatsoever. And that's very, very uh, difficult to do well, I feel. And uh, uh, that does, I think, constitute a very, very good exercise for your brain. But it's not structured work. It's just like it keeps you in touch with the game. It keeps your brain from from becoming, you know, stale. And uh, um, but it's 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 not what people who are working on chess systematically to become better at chess are doing. Uh, and then uh, Chessable approached me for this course, and that kind of forced me into uh, the, the, exactly the kind of structured work that I haven't been doing for a, for a while. And uh, <laughs> it was difficult to return to it, but it's also quite fun, in particular if you like the subject. Uh, I think I think like if if I if I had to, uh, <laughs> there was a very funny interaction because I uh, somewhere around late last year i think when i uh, i thought i figured something out about what this course will look like and sort of how, how to continue working on it because also like one thing about writing a first course for chessable that you aren't really very prepared for it, as someone like me for instance i don't know how it works for uh, other people but you know the one conversation i've had so far with a colleague on this subject we basically were finishing each other's sentences when we were when I was describing that experience, I spoke about this with with Hare Krishna, I think. Uh, so, as a as a as a high level player uh, who's been playing, you know, top chess for decades, uh, you have a way of presenting material for yourself that is very very, uh, you know, it's become part of you. It's become a very set routine. You know how your files look like. You know like which lines are promoted to be the main lines in the file. You know how the file is structured to draw attention to things that need to be drawn attention to, and so on. And then uh, you you know, you know get commissioned to write something for Chessable, and you create a bunch of those files, and then you send them to Chessable and say, well, here are the files for the course. What do you think? And uh, they return them to you, uh, and they are all exceptionally polite people. I have to say, it's a very like I'm I'm intensely suspicious of that company. <laughs> I, I I still have not met a single unpleasant person. I I this is this is very unnatural, and I don't know what to think. Uh, so they very very politely return those files to you, and they say, "Yeah, this is all wonderful, Peter, but where are the annotations?" And uh, at that point, like after the first shock passes, and it's like it's 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 a blow to the system because you you think you've given them like 
a perfectly serviceable file, you wouldn't be ashamed of showing your 2750 plus colleagues. And it gets returned to you with a very, very polite instruction to actually say something. <laughs> and and uh, and you're just sitting there thinking, uh, what? Excuse me, what? Uh, but once you get past that that first impression, uh, and you 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 realize that you know they've been doing this for a while, they know exactly what what their users want out of a, of an opening course. So they're asking you to retool it so that people who are ideally going to buy your course will enjoy it more which i think is a is a goal is a goal yeah, worth working goal. for yeah. uh, uh, and uh yeah it's a it's an interesting learning curve but in the end i think the 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 the, the product i've uh, i've uh finished uh, with is uh, is quite good and is is good both for, uh, for like I'm I'm still pretty certain it's usable at a very at a very high level like if 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 somebody wanted to as there was you know on two plus two there was the the you know the check my line yeah <laughs> the, the the check my line uh, part of uh, part of two plus two forums so like for for my colleagues I think it's still can be used as a kind of a check my line thing, uh, just to see what my thinking is on th on, on certain things. But I think it's also uh, quite well tooled to, to be perhaps the first serious Grunfeld course somebody ever lays their uh, la uh, you know laser eyes on, and uh, I'm 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 quite proud of it. I'm never entirely satisfied with anything I do, and. Uh, uh, I assume, uh, just just as I mentioned, that Grunfeld is a is a kind of a living organism, just as really any opening is. I'm sure you know as as events happen and games happen and uh, things change, there might be updates to it down the line. But I'm quite happy with what uh, with what we are about to ship. That, that's great to hear, and I believe it will be out by the time this interview is released. And uh, alluding to to what you were discussing, I know with courses like uh, Wesley So's Double King Pawn course and your buddy uh, Jan Gustafsson's Double King Pawn course and like the Anish Giri, Nydorf and French courses, I know that top players do use them. So it's um, always tricky to navigate, making it accessible for a wide range of levels. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the one of the things that is very very difficult to judge properly, uh, like how much uh, how much toning down of uh, like what my normal style of presentation would be, like how in particular for somebody for somebody who is only doing their first course, like for for me here, I think uh, I really needed to be like walked through through the process of. Uh, creating something that is high level, but also uh, is accessible enough for people who are perhaps uh, uh, not my uh, not my immediate peers. Uh, but I think uh, I, I think with with their help, I think the, the the final result is quite good. I, I am sure it is. And listeners, stay tuned. We'll be doing a, we'll be giving away a couple courses. So listen for instructions at the end of the episode. Um, so, Peter, we've got a bunch of questions, so I'm just going to start uh, diving Go on, yeah. in. Sure. 
So the first one is, um, well, not the first one. The next one is from Deepankar Ghosh, who says, uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of Peter's Fiddler for his dynamic playing style, his commentaries with Chess24, and his recent working with young talents videos, uh, referring to your co-chess videos with uh, Tani, which are excellent. Mm, yeah, that is that is fun, yeah. Yeah, it is fun to watch. Here's my question to Peter. I'm an adult player rated around 1900, and I have a chess style that I believe is similar to yours in spirit, where I favor dynamic positions where I can play with active pieces for the initiative, even at the cost of material. The challenge, however, is the strong visceral dis dislike towards quiet, dull positions without much concrete play or an obvious plan. How can I overcome this weakness and get better at the less exciting parts of the games, which cannot be avoided entirely? <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't actually have a silver bullet for those questions. And uh, uh, I do want to preface because there might be more of questions in, in that vein. I want to preface whatever I say on these topics by I do not actually coach. And that is not to that, that is not to say, please don't ask me and like, why are you asking me and, and, and go away. But more as a way of saying, please don't trust what I say <laughs> because I don't really have any idea. Uh, but with 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 the thing as vanilla as as the thing I'm about to say, I think I'm on very safe ground. Uh, I was very much like that when I was growing up. I really hated playing positions where I couldn't understand where the next exciting thing will come from. And I was honestly, well, I mean, obviously for a given value of bad, but I was quite bad at them. Uh, and uh, the way you improve is you get to the level where people start beating you at those things and you watch them beat you. And first of all, that motivates you psychologically because I don't think anybody really likes losing whatever they say. So, so it's not much fun, but also it provides you with really invaluable data on uh, what they're doing that you're not doing. Uh, so, Basically, you, you you get better at it by uh, getting to a place where you're playing people slightly better than you who are punishing you for your mistakes in those types of positions and hopefully learning from your mistakes and learning not just from your mistakes, but also learning from what those players are doing that you're not doing. I don't think there is you know any kind of a, uh, esoteric practice that top players have that just instantly solves the dislike for dry positions. I've become quite okay at dry positions, but I've become quite okay at dry positions, I think, through sheer sheer volume of chess played against uh, against good players and being around good players. And also something that these days I think is kind of sorely missing. Uh, and, I mean, you can quite easily understand why it's sorely missing, but it's still, I think, a loss. Uh, people don't really do post-mortems anymore. Because uh, I think the like the major and pretty much maybe the only reason why people don't do postmortems anymore is the the feeling of like absolute futility of it. Because you will get back to your hotel room and your phone, you know, you don't even have to get back to the hotel room anymore. Like your phone will tell you where your mistake was. <laughs> you you don't even need to switch the laptop on, uh, and that makes it that makes it kind of a waste of time to a degree perhaps to analyze games after they finished because you you will be you know striving to approximate what your phone will tell you in three seconds uh, but uh, 
they were invaluable in 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 teaching me things when I just sort of came onto the scene because you know you lose a game you you lose a you know a dry positional game to somebody like Boris Gelfand, and then you sit down and you analyze with him and he starts teaching he he starts not teaching you he's not teaching you exactly, but he shows you what he thought you should have been playing instead of what you played that cost you the game, and you have this conversation with him on that topic, and and and. If you are not taking something away from that, something is going badly wrong because it's very, very difficult not to absorb this. I understand I'm talking from an extremely privileged position of somebody. Like this is a scenario you don't necessarily have access to. But even talking to a player at the club level who is stronger than you, he there is a reason why he's stronger than you. So he will have, you know, thoughts on the game that will be useful to you because you know, if you're losing to him, he is definitely doing something better than you than what you're doing. Uh, it's it's going to be scaled down a little bit, but it's still going to be true, I think. So, you know, practice, and if you have smart people around you to talk chess with, it's going to be uh, extremely useful. Uh, but yeah, as I, as I, you know, for, this is clearly. I'm sure your viewers could have actually like written down that answer and won a bet with you on like, you know, this is my question to Peter Swidler and this is what he will say. And if he does say that, I win 50 bucks. I think you're down 50 bucks right now, but uh, <laughs> there really isn't very much I can say apart from that. I, I started off as a, uh, as a very decent dynamic player who did not really understand uh much else and uh you do evolve uh by by the process of you know being around people who can show you things both in practice and also before and after games when you talk to them so it's not impossible but there is no magic solution yeah, excellent advice. And if anything, I think with club players, it's easier to find a strong player. There aren't that many Boris Gelfons running around. So I yeah, think- yeah. I mean, sure, exactly. And uh, just as I gave that speech about no postmortems, I suspect they're much more. I mean, they're they're probably still very much a thing at club level, much more than they are at top events. Because at top events, they really kind of sadly disappeared. They still happen occasionally, but a lot less than they did, let's say, in the mid '90s when I was just beginning. Uh, because then you would like you, you if you played an interesting game, you knew you were not having early dinner that night because you knew that you would immediately find the board, and like half the tournament would congregate around the board, and we would all just look at it for the next three hours. Um, yeah, that Great. no longer really happens. Yeah, it's a bit bit sad, but time time only moves forward. All right, well, so next question, Peter, and this one of several people asked, of course, this is from Greg Smith. He says, we haven't seen you and, and GM Jan Gustafsson doing tournament uh, commentary as frequently on Chess 24. How are these decisions made and when will we see you back? It's a, it's a kind of a... I, I, I'm not really uh, you know, involved in the decision-making uh, going on at Chess 24 right now. Chess 24 uh, these days is a, a, a very, very serious corporate entity. Uh, and uh, the roster of commentators available to Chess Twenty Four is one thing that hasn't changed. We, we you know, Chess Twenty Four still absolutely has the, the best the best roster of people of people talking about the game. But uh, Jan is uh, 
uh, these days, I think, more often found in the German studio than in the English studio. And I said they don't speak German. So that precludes, yeah, precludes the reunion a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we would we would both very much like to work with each other again. I just I I can't tell when that will happen. I really hope it does happen because uh, working with Gusti is uh, my my happy place. But mm, there is there is no set schedule for that. We were, if not for the Grunfeld course, we probably would have done the entirety of Wyke together. I think. Uh, but basically, by the time January lo- rolled in, I was in in absolute sort of full panic mode, trying to like fit every single hour of the day into the the clicking and the typing, and then some more clicking and then some more typing. And uh, I, I mean, Wyke being what it is, like you know, two and a half weeks of seven hours per day, pretty much considering the amount of chess being played in the time control. I just couldn't do it. And that was a very, very sad decision. I think it's the first time ever that I said no to the idea of doing a long event with Gusti. I was not happy, but it was a decision that needed to be made at the time. Okay, well, we, of course, look forward to it because otherwise I'm going to have to learn German and and as will you. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's sort of... uh, uh, I don't know what what your situation with German is, but for me it's kind of shameful because, like, why don't I speak German already? I've I've played twenty seasons of Bundesliga. It's really inexcusable. Yeah, I can't say the same. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Like, I, I I don't I don't know what your situation is, but for me, I've spent so much so much of my life in Germany from like from the very early Bundesliga seasons to all of the work I've done in the Hamburg offices that. This really is a very, very sad indictment of how lazy I am. I don't know if I'd go that far, but that does uh, bring me back to uh, Stephen Sparks' question about, so do you do you have any um, OTB tournaments firmly on your calendar? No. Uh, I mean, there is supposedly a Russian clubs in May, uh, which, I mean, the thing is, Apart from the absolute <clears throat> like top level events, specifically the candidates and the match in Dubai, right, where the the field is small enough and the stakes high enough and the importance of it to the entire, you know, well being of the chess world. I mean, that's from maybe a slight un, un, overstatement, but not entirely a ridiculous statement either. Uh, I think pretty much everything is in flux, right? I mean, Norway chess has been postponed for whatever it is, like four months or something. Like they, I think it was supposed to happen very soon-ish, May, maybe June. I'm not, I haven't followed it very closely, but they announced, I think, a couple of weeks ago that they're moving it to, to autumn. And uh, that's an elite event with a very small field, which is, you know, compared to, uh, let's say, the World Cup. is about as easy to organize and bubble as it, as it is, as, it, as, as it's possible to get. And even that is being moved right now because the situation is still very, very unclear. So basically somewhere, I think, mid-2020, I just made a somewhat conscious decision to limit my planning for to like the rest of the week maybe or two days ahead and just do that and, and not really even attempt to like answer the question of what my what the rest of my year will look like and uh, you know I'm not playing over the board chess for the next 3 days that that much I know <laughs>
<laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. Not every chess player has a janitor to help them improve at chess like Beth Harmon did. For those of you who don't, there is aimchess.com. AimChess has a web-based algorithm that collects and analyzes your games from chess.com or LeeChess, and then it creates personalized study plans based on your weaknesses to help you improve. It might highlight specific openings to work on, tell you to tighten up your tactics, or in my case, tell me to manage my time better. Then it gives you puzzles and advice with the goal of helping you improve your chess faster. You can check out Aim Chess for free. And then if you decide to subscribe, please use the promo code CHESS30 to save 30%. That's CHESS30. The details are also in the show notes. So for now, let's get back to the interview. So another question, this one's from Jason Willem, who asks, with your joy of the popular game Hearthstone and other deck builder type games, how much do you think these games help out with your chess? They don't. It specifically not because the games are like very, very detrimental to your to the way you think about things. It's just that you know the amount of time I spend, you know, spamming BGs these days could be spent on something else, pretty much anything else, honestly. And <laughs> it's it's just that it's a huge time sink. I still really like the game. I stream the game, and then like I've I've actually built a, uh, not really built like, but I, very strong players actually watch me being horrible at that game, and give me advice, and that's very very both useful and kind of heartwarming that I am now a somewhat recognized you know idiot in that community, uh, which is exactly what I've sort of set out to be. I I know I will never be properly good at it. Even though, you know, there are some examples, like uh, he doesn't stream it very much anymore, but uh, Evgeny Tomaszewski at some point was like top 30 EU uh, in, in Battlegrounds. And uh, he is like properly good. And uh, uh, while also continuing to be a very, very strong chess player. So it's not impossible. But in my case, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm aspiring to be a, you know, a, a running gag in that community, but hopefully a, like a good-natured running gag. Napomnici has been a keen gamer too, right? Yeah, but he's scaled it. I think one of you know one of the reasons for his much improved chess performances was that he scaled it down uh, and became a lot more serious about chess. Not that he doesn't game anymore; he definitely does. But he he switched from being like a 50-50 splitter to, to I don't know, a 90-10 split in favor of chess or something. And that that definitely uh, improves, your, improves your outlook as a chess professional. Makes sense. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting matchup if he ends up playing Magnus. But... Yeah, that would, be, that would be something to watch for sure, yeah. Um, okay, so three more listener questions if you're good for it, Peter. Sure, yeah. Go on. Awesome, thank you. Um, so, and this one also came up a couple times. So, um, I will actually read these two uh, together. Uh, Steve C says, Your work tangential to playing, streaming, commenting, coaching, Tani, et cetera, is always great entertainment. His favorites um, 
of these recently were your conversations about your own games for the, for example, the masterclass with GM Yannick Pelletier and mm. the breakdown of your win uh, versus Kaspar for Chess 24. I recommend those as well. I really enjoyed those as well. The questions are, could you please have a crack at writing a book of some kind when your current workload settles down? An evergreen question for Peter. And if you have limited enthusiasm for your book, do you have other Svidler retrospective type projects planned? And then Gautam Narula asks the same question and just says, if you did write a book, what would it be about? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why there hasn't been a book yet is that I, I don't entirely know what I would write about because um, like the, the, the easy solution would be to write some sort of a best games book, but that just doesn't really excite me very much. Honestly, it's, it's just like sort of it's a rehashing of uh, past glories, which it, it just really... I I find no fault in the idea. It's just that it doesn't really get get me going in any way. I feel like, you know, my time can better be spelled, spent elsewhere. And uh, the issue here is that it will once again, you know, people will suspect that I'm doing this as a bit, like it's, you know, it's the kind of the the, the constant bit of you know me me no good at chess, but. Uh, <laughs> I am pretty like I've I've come I'm I'm now at peace with the idea that I'm actually am pretty good at chess or at least I have been at some points in my career. But uh, I'm a purely practical player. Well, one thing I sort of realized about myself is that throughout my career, I am I've I've been basically a very very gifted uh, practical player, uh, and that is something that I feel is very very difficult to uh teach or put into words like the things that come instinctively to players like me uh once you once you try to explain them like no words come out you just sit there thinking but this is because this is like you i kind of know that this is either right or a very close approximation of right but i can't explain how and I can't really verbalize the thought process that got me there, uh, which is why, let's say, you know, writing a book like the books uh, Boris Gelfand is now writing with with with, with Jacob Augard, uh is like a no go. Not because I don't think it's a valuable use of my time, but because I think, you know, somebody like Boris actually has concepts about chess which he thought deeply about. And if he shares them with the world, the world is much the better for it. Whereas in my case, like you open the book and it's just a shrug emoji, you know, like shrug emoji on every page. Like here I played this because shrug emoji, you know. Like, well, how much um, how much of it is concrete analysis, though? Is it just that it would be kind of like a Kasparov's or Kamsky's books, like very filled with variations? Or is it really just that intuitive for you? I don't know. I, I, I've not really tried... I've not really even tried going in that direction, but as I mentioned, uh, just you know, just providing you with detailed analysis of what happened in my games is one thing. I could do that, but that really is, you know, there is, it's it's bubble gum. It's not really. It's bubble gum is probably not the empty calories is what I pr probably I would like to describe it as. Like it's. It's nice content. It's reasonably easy to provide. I don't know what good it does for me to do it, but I wouldn't trust myself to try explaining concepts. 
because I don't know if I understand the concepts, you know. Like, uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the areas of chess where I feel I feel competent are very difficult for me to, to put into work. Like, I, I trust myself to explain opening concepts in the openings I've been playing all my life. This, I think, you know, sort of circling back to the to the course which we're about to release. I don't feel like an imposter talking about Grunfeld because I feel that I've amassed enough experience playing the Grunfeld and also talking about Grunfeld with other people that uh, there I feel it's quite okay for me uh, to uh, to do that. But talking on, you know, the, the, the widest spectrum of things to do with chess, I... <laughs> I'm not entirely sure where to begin and in in which direction to go. And uh, yeah, I'm people do occasionally approach me with with offers of of writing a book, but so far I've been very steadfast in saying in saying no thanks. Well, you're discussing this reminded me of a question that I almost forgot, which was uh, Mikael Ablin, author of the Anon Files, is a um, I'm friendly with him. He's been on the show, and he asked a if you'd read that book, b if it matched with your interactions working on world championship teams. And that makes me think that even just a sort of behind the scenes memoir, even if you leave out the chess analysis, obviously chess fans would, would eat that up. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be the other thing that I could have tried, but uh, you know, a book has been written on sort of like my experiences are part of those experiences, like the, the Barayev Levitov book on. Yeah. On, on 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 Brisago, yeah, and uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think if I want to relieve that again, you know, it's uh, yeah, okay. I I still I still feel, um, yeah, those are those are not easy memories, and uh, you know, Vlad still talks to me, which is quite <laughs> something. I've, I've I've spoken to him today. It's oh, uh, wow. It's it's kind of it's kind of remarkable in a way, you know, after after all that. <laughs> And when you're getting ready, obviously, uh, you can punt on this question if you want, but helping Alexenko, if if you have a casual conversation with Vlad, do you pick his brain at all for... for... No, it, was, it, it wasn't like, we, we, we're not like in, in, in daily touch about things. I just like generally, you know, if, if we're talking about Brissago, you know, the, 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 the general fact that we, we, we still talk is, uh, <laughs> is not a given... <laughs> Let's put it like this. <laughs> I think he's. Uh, I think he's happy with how his life turned out. Uh, Grandmaster Vladimir Kramnik, we're referring to, of course, and the book is uh, from London to Alista. Um, all right, three more questions. Let's hop to him, Peter, because we're keeping you late. Um, from Jonathan Bryant, and I have. I can't contribute to this at all, but John asks. Uh, shout out to JB. He asks, "Who would you pick in your England's all-time greatest cricket uh, number 11? I uh, yeah. Don't ask me that because I like this will. This this interview will never end uh, uh, because I would I would need to start thinking and like consulting consulting sources and so on. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, how would you that look like? I don't know. Hatton, Sutcliffe, Hobbs. I don't know. Thorpe, Stewart, Keeping. I, no, probably not Stewart. Keeping. I don't know. And uh, for bowlers. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm not picking any of the modern ones. I think, like, yeah, it's it's just too difficult. And, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a good question, but I know enough about the game to 
kind of fake responding to it, but also I don't feel like I should be because like I'm I'm exactly at the spot where I can probably fake it re- reasonably convincingly, but I'm I know deep deep down that I'm not good enough to to actually uh, nominate an eleven. Okay. Um, and last question is from uh, Bradley Joao Perry, and uh, Bradley, of course, is impressed with your mastery of the English language. Um, and he says, as an adult and chess improver, he's been working on learning Russian, and it's helped him view. And learning Russian has helped him view chess more like learning a language than before. Are there mm. shared or borrowing learning com- concepts from both chess and English that helped you master both? <laughs> I wanted to say, you know, it's one of those questions of, you know, how is chess like a thing X, which I don't particularly like because normally a thing X is not really very like chess and uh, you are forced to like yeah. talk out of your ass a little bit there. <laughs> but in my particular case, I can actually give an answer which I think is a true answer, and uh, and also, I mean, it might not be useful, but it's true, and there is definitely a direct, a direct, uh, if not a comparison, then similarity. I definitely picked up English by just speaking English. I picked it. I picked it through, you know, practice and. Uh, uh, sort of deep immersion into the language. I started reading in English in the like early to mid nineties, and very very quickly, like my major, like my m- the the volume of my reading is split like ninety ten in favor of English these days. I almost don't read in, in Russian at all, and this has been the case for a long long time now. And uh, I think much the same can be said about chess. Like I fell in love with the game when I was. You know, my dad showed me the pieces when I was six, and basically from that moment on, they couldn't drag they couldn't drag me away from the board. And uh, if you if you care about the subject this much, I think uh, obviously it helps that you are. First of all, I you know I have to I have to probably you know admit that I I have a gift for chess and I probably have a knack for languages even though you know with only one language that really is sort of unproven but (laughs) but just you know absolutely devoting yourself to something will will help a great deal (laughs) and uh with chess and with English like I I've never really been the you know the, the the hard the hardest worker in chess. My my work ethic and you know the my ability and or desire to do structured work has never really been the greatest. But I've in particular when I was younger, I I still thought about chess and uh, did something chess related every day for you know for, for for the first I don't know twenty years of me playing the game, starting from from six or so and. Uh, and with English as well, like I, it, it always fascinated me, and uh, I, I made a very conscious effort to uh, surround myself with as much as much English as possible. You know, watching shows, listening to to to, to music, and you know, it, it kind of helps that I don't really like music where lyrics play no play no part at all. So when you when you actually care about the lyrics that that improves improves your relationship with the language as well because i think i think listening to music and trying to to figure out what they're trying to tell you is is good as 
you know, it is part of the learning process. And famously, my, you know, the 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 the, the very first event that jump started my relationship with English was uh, Leisure Suit Larry, which I don't know if you you're probably too, too young to to have played yeah. Leisure Suit Larry, yeah, but. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm old enough to have played the actual, you know, they became point and click. But when I started playing them, there was no pointing and clicking. You typed everything. And uh, those adventure games progressed your English admirably because if you typed something incorrectly, nothing would happen. <laughs> so, so you really had to work out, work out how language works in that particular setting. Um, but yeah, just sort of deep immersion and uh, interest in the subject will go a long way. Great advice. Yeah, and Bruce Brandolfini recently said the same thing in alluding to how top talents uh, learn, like Fabiano, who he worked with at a young age, learn chess. All right. Well, Peter, we've kept you a little longer than I said, so I want to thank you so much. It's all good. I know you're um I know you're a busy man and busier than ever. So really appreciate it. Uh listeners, stay tuned. We'll we'll uh give instructions for a giving away a few courses of Peter's. So I'll add that to the end. But Peter, you you're on Twitter, you're on Twitch. Uh I suppose people know where to find you, right? Yeah, I think I think I'm I mean on Twitter I'm really easy to find. Uh Twitch used to be somewhat hidden, but I've posted the link on my Twitter so much these days that I, I don't think it's a secret anymore. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Safe travels to Ekaterinburg. And I, again, really appreciate it. This was a treat. Thank you. Okay, listeners, we are back with the details on the Lifetime Repertoires Gunfeld course giveaway by Grandmaster Peter Svidler. Of course, every once in a while, I like to support the work of our esteemed guests and give back to the community by rewarding listeners and at the same time, artificially inflate my social media imprint. So this time, what you need to do to enter the contest is simply to subscribe to the Perpetual Chess YouTube channel. I know that most of you listen on podcast apps and all we post right now on YouTube are video renderings of the interviews, but I may start sharing some clips and adding more content as time goes on. So it can't hurt to have more subscribers. And if you're already a subscriber, you can just send a screenshot that says you're subscribed. And if you do subscribe, also send a screenshot. Send to ben at perpetualchesspod.com and please put in the subject YouTube so that I can sort the entries easily. The deadline is May 1st, and that is when I will notify the winner via email. So again, screenshot of YouTube subscription and the courses given away will not be the video versions of the Chessable course. They will be the text versions and there will be two to three courses given away. So that is it, everyone. Thanks for listening and I will catch you guys all next week. Thanks as always to my producer, Matthew Passy. Thanks to you all for listening and thanks to those of you who help spread the word, whether it be positive reviews on podcast platforms, telling friends, social media, all that stuff helps get the word out and it is much appreciated. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at official one You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group to continue the conversation, sometimes even with that week's guests. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is back in action as well at Perpetual Chess. And you can also find all these links on the Perpetual Chess webpage, perpetualchesspod.com. But of course, the main purpose of these closing credits is to thank everyone who supports Perpetual Chess financially. Without you all, we would not be able to put out such a consistent 
and hopefully quality product. So thanks so much. It really means the world to me. And in particular, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities, starting off with my friends at chessable.com. Aside from that, I would like to thank David Lazarus of lasmanchess.com. He is the coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, our friends at Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch channel, A Needy Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess blog, chessmood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Selt, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the original chess YouTube channels, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the legendary Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nase Twitch channel, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodhi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, the Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a chess.com improver group. You can look them up. Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovics, Antonio Cancino, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chess Potzer Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, also known as Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Butson, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskacek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Decker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langual, Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Fide Arbiter, Arbiter, Arbiter excuse me, Felipe Melo Perdera, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letarte Lavoie, Frank Tor- Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zanani, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Geert Vandervelde, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shute, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovac, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Dacumost, 
Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tooley, Juan Almaguar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of U.S. Chess, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kovyutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Malijanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Richard Hollenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Tichi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott McKinnon, Scott Shepard, Sean Krause, Sebastian Finsterwater, Walter, Sergey Magacon, Seth Ruzicka, Shane Unger, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rattel, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.